Welcome to CruxCast. Whether you're in your car, at work, or at home, we hope you enjoy this interview. And if you do, you can find more like it on cruxinvestor.com. So please subscribe. So as an introduction to Heliostar, we're a new company that was formed in August last year, Matt. So we, we came about by a private company that I'd founded that we merged with Red Star Gold to effectively create the whole new company, Heliostar. And we did that because we want to advance our flagship project, the Younger Asset in Alaska. Um, it's got a 384,000 ounces at 13.8 grams per tonne, really high grade. Um, but we're there because we think it can be materially bigger. Our first goal is to lift it to a million ounces. So we've got three rigs on the property at the moment and we're aggressively drilling um, to, to unlock the potential of Unger. Brilliant. Thanks for the summary. And uh, hello, Charles. Um, I hope you're well. Where are you? Uh, in Vancouver, in the office. Oh, good lad. Okay, so it's it's, not, it's a civilized time of the day there. Um, well, I, I um, just want to get into a little bit of background because a new story. I mean, we we did speak a couple of days ago, only because we had a slight technical failure. Um, but we haven't spoken to Matt before, and we hadn't heard the story, so I'm, I'm kind of keen to get into, it, especially with some of the grades that you've been putting out. Um, can I go back a bit though? You, you, this this kicked off last August. There was a merger private company and assets. So can you give us a bit of background to that? Yeah, I'll, I'll even go back a step further that maybe even introduces myself a little bit. So so I'm a geologist, um, as you can tell, not from Canada originally. Worked for um, mid-tier and majors mostly, probably most notably Newcrest. So got to see a lot of advanced projects around the world. Was fortunate enough to be involved in, in a number of copper discoveries. And then we moved over to Vancouver just because North America is a place to be. There's more projects, there's more um, financing. It's, it's easier to be successful in, in this business being based in North America. So moved over to Canada about five years ago, um, started working for a prospect generator. Um, and that company went for a good ride at Everham, their origin royalties. But I got a bit jaded with that business model. You can work very hard and you need that serendipitous moment to occur and it could happen. In two years, it could happen in 10 years. So we set out to build a new company, a company that I think our DNA is, is exploration success, um, recognising where you know cheaper deals that have significant upside. And so we put together some private um, some private funding in 2019, and we picked up some early stage projects in Mexico. Um, your investor, your, your listeners will probably be more familiar with Visla Silver. So I was the VP for Beasley Silver last year. Um, I'm now a director at Beasley Silver, and that's been incredibly successful. We've got onto a very significant silver resource um, that's continuing to expand. I think it went from about a, a 30 to 300 million market cap in the last 12 months. That in the background was working up this private company and looking for a flagship asset, you know, an advanced exploration project that we could ultimately build out the resource and, and put into production. And so we looked at a number of opportunities. I often tell people that we were looking for this in 2019 for some veneer of authenticity. We weren't just chasing the, the increase in gold price. And we looked at some other projects, you know, they either didn't work technically or they didn't work um, commercially or, or the deal didn't make sense. And so we got talking to Jacques Weincourt, our, our chairman at, at formerly Red Star. And the Unger Assets, this great project, as we'll talk about a little more, and it just hadn't seen the amount of exploration that you need to really kick it forward. 
Anyway, long story short, we agreed to, to a merger in August last year, which formed Heliostar effectively as a new company. So we, we got going with our drill program really quickly. We've been building a management team um, and the rub is really hitting the road now. Okay, well, okay, thanks for that. So how much money do you plough into the, the private entity or were you just like working for free? I mean, how did no, that we, work? We put about one to one and a half million in the private company beforehand. Your money? Um, as much as I could afford, but also some high net worth investors who supported us. Right. And so how much do you actually hold now yourself? So I hold about three and a half percent of the company now. So we've got pretty, if you look at all our management team, it's between just with the last raise, it's come under 20%. But we've got a significant ownership that's yeah, very easy to come and show, that show our alignment from that perspective. Okay. Okay. How old are you actually? 37. 37. Oh, you lucky sod. Right. Um, yeah, and the reason I ask is like, obviously, you know, you've different people have been around a long time. You know, you kind of expect them to have made some money, been successful, and, and put a lot into it. And when you're starting out, it's, I think it's a bit harsh or hard to expect the same thing. So I just want to make that distinction. Um, so, you, so right. Th thanks for that explanation. Can you talk about your management team? You said you put together a strong management team. Obviously, Jack, we, you know, his reputation precedes him, but you know, who else is on the um, team? Yeah, I think, well, starting with our board, I actually think we have a really strong board for a company our size in that we actually do have a fairly audacious long-term goal that we want to become a producer. I know most junior companies don't say that. There's a number of pathways that you may or may not go down to get there. But I think there's definitely a sweet spot in this industry. You know, I work for enough sort of bigger and smaller teams to know that there's a sweet spot in that sort of two to five billion market cap, you know, two to three operating minds that you're, you're small enough that exploration, discovery, M&A makes sense. And you're not so big that nothing matters. I've also worked for those companies. And it's just so hard to move the needle. So we have to start that with more modest goals. And so, you know, we've got a, a nice range. We've got Jacques Vinecourt and George Island, um, who've got a lot of investment banking and institutional experience. Then on the technical side, myself, Alan Wilson and Ken Booth. Alan's not a name that many people will know. He's only ever worked for major mining companies, you know, BHP, Rio, Newcrest. Most recently, the head of exploration for Anafagasta. So not a commercial name, but, you know, great track record. Would have done 50 deals in the last 10 years all around the world. So very good commercial acumen. And then William Lamb agreed to join, firstly, my private company and then the board. And William's fantastic. You know, he took Lucara Diamonds and took the Kawari Diamond line with Lucara from PFS to steady state operations. So as we want to go through resource development, permitting and into production. Actually, our board's done every step along the way, and that's, I'm kind of proud of that. It's not a common thing for a company our size. Yeah, and so, so how do you know William? I, I know William from about 2011. What, what was, how did you meet him? Yeah, it's, it's careful who you run into in Vancouver. Um, you met through friends, through through programming friends, actually. And so just sort of talked about business and how we think about the business, and um, I think we see things fairly similarly. And so I always joke that when, when things go wrong in companies, because inevitably things go wrong along the journey, you know, the finance guys point to the cell on the spreadsheet and say, fix that. It's good to have those operators like William who can get in the trenches and say, well, this is how it came out. This is the solution to get out of it. So you need that. That operating experience is invaluable, I think. Yeah, no, no absolutely. Certainly at this stage uh, to make sure that you're, you're choosing the right path. 
because it's nothing more expensive than, than making the wrong decision early. Um, can we talk about your your um, share structure and and and, and the corporate structure? Because obviously, you know, you're sitting over a buck. You're about thirty, just under forty million market cap. It's fairly tight at the moment, and I appreciate that you last month did a a, a small raise, uh, five point six million bucks too. So, but tell us tell us who's involved. Um, you know, what type of money it is. Yeah, so as, as you said, so we, we went up to 37 million shares on the raise last year. Again, if you want to go from this journey from the start to the end, you need all the shots in the gun. So you need that tight share structure at the start or you're just not going to be successful. So we started out, as, as I mentioned, lucky to have a number of sort of, you know, there's about 15 high net worth investors back to the private company. And so then when we, when we completed the merger, um, Eric Sprott was a major shareholder of, of Red Star and continues to be a shareholder. So it's, it's nice to have, have a bit of name recognition on that side. But also we needed to bring some more institutional names um, to, to support the company. And so um, the Phoenix Gold Fund, um, K2, um, Crestcat, Broman have all come in in the last couple of rounds. So started to balance that retail institutional as much as you can for what's still a fairly early stage story. Okay, fine. Well, we better start talking about uh, Unga because um, some of the numbers coming out there are, well, they're very impressive, aren't they? There's not too many close to half an ounce resources. It's, it's small at the moment, but we're not there for the 384,000 ounces. We think we could have a very big district, and that's why we're there. Well, exactly. Well, let's 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 address that head on, okay? Because most people look at this. Oh, you know, whatever whatever it is, 340,000 ounces. It's nothing. Why would you bother? So that's clearly not the the the, the plan here. It's not the game. So. What are you setting out to try and do, and you know how are you going to go about it? You've raised a small amount of money recently, so what are we looking to, forward to? Yeah, so I'll start with a bit of a history lesson and get us to here, and then run through through what we think are the next steps. The it's actually quite an incredible project. It was Alaska's first underground gold mine. Um, it produced about one hundred and thirty thousand ounces at approximately ten grams per ton. In fact, we've got some great old diaries and reports about this time. There's a great detective story for, for one of the targets. Um, and so they, they produced quite um, effectively there until they hit the base metal zone and they couldn't profitably recover the gold from the base metal zone. And so the mining stopped in principally in the early 20s and then in fix and starts in the 30s. And the project sort of got lost over the next 50 years. People came and looked at it as old. Anaconda reports, um, Quintana Duval, good porphyry explorers went and had a look at it in the 70s. And then it saw a good rush of work in the 80s. But it's one of these stories where three different companies owned the three pieces that probably all needed to be together. And that's, they found a new resource um, that called the SH1 zone started to get found in the 80s. Um, but none of them, you know, with the gold price of the 80s, with not having enough, it never really got critical mass. Then it got lost in an oil and gas company for nearly 20 years until the late 2000s. Um, so the Tennessee Oil and Gas Company, they were happy to have some losses to offset in the corporate entity. So there's 20 years effectively. And it got picked up by Full Metal Minerals and then JV to Red Star. But Red Star were initially focused in Red Lake in Ontario, hence the name. So they didn't really turn their attention to it until the last few years. And they had a few good years. But, you know, they had tough markets. But 16, 17, they had a good run. They, they 
put together the resource that was published early last year or did the bulk of the drilling for that 43101 compliant resource. But that was just SH1. So most of the project hasn't seen any significant exploration for 40 years, which is kind of hard to believe, really. So, so what was what was happening in, in fifteen sixteen? Were they actually producing at that point? No, so sorry, they had a good run. They got they got funding. They did some good drill programs. So the challenge, the challenge when you work in this part of Alaska. So where we didn't touch on it. We're down in the Aleutian Islands in Alaska, and so most people think cold, frozen, short field seasons when you think Alaska. It's quite a unique project in that you know we can explore for nine months of the year at the moment. Ultimately, we'll be able to do it year round. So. We are on site in April. We finished at US Thanksgiving last year. It's a very temperate project. The challenge that I think has defeated people in the past is you need to bring economies of scale. If you go with one rig for a couple of months, it becomes expensive. So whereas if you get organised and do what we did last year and again this year, we've got three rigs at site. Um, it just becomes easier to get traction and get critical mass. I think that's what we're going to bring the might be an advantage over previous groups. Okay, so I'm just trying to understand. I mean, given the high grade, you're talking about 13.8 grams per ton. I mean, it's it's well up there with the best, right? Um, two points. One, someone was, um, has actually sent a question, and they were talking. There was some mention of the the resource estimate being questioned at the time you did the merger. Was that true? And if so, what was that about? Yeah, so when, when we came in as the new management team, there was a question raised of the independence of the author. There was no issue with um, there's no issue with the work that was done on the resource. Um, Red Star actually just made a mistake. They're a small company trying to look um, like they had a bigger team, and they put their consultant who did the report as their country manager on the website. And so the stock exchange took the position that, um, sorry, as the clouds go past, I go in and out. So, um, as uh, you're, bringing, you're bringing clarity to this issue, so that's the main thing. Yeah, exactly. With the light comes, I say those moments. Um, no, the, the exchange took the position that the average person on the street would not consider that person to be independent. So, we had to go and find a different author, um, and that was completed and rectified with exactly the same technical data behind it a couple of months later. Okay, small issue. Easily dealt with, fine. but it, not, not the first time a small company's tried to look a little bit bigger than they actually are. Um, As it, when when you come, when you know us coming in and doing that merge, I think raised the profile a bit, which raised the um, the review status of all the different parts of the company. And that's you know the next thing that we did. There's a couple of people that's worth mentioning. You know, we built a whole new management team when we came in. You know, most notably Sam Anderson joined us from 17 years with Newmont. So part of the new Heliostar literally. A new CEO, new VPX, new CFO, new office manager, new exploration manager. So we've built a whole team in the last few months. So we, that's why we really are a new entity. And um, how are you paying for all of this? I mean, have you, obviously you raised a little bit of money recently, a bit of money last year. I mean, what is it? How's the GNA looking? Are you keeping it tight? Yeah, so GNA is, is really tight. We're about one point two million a year. That includes okay. any marketing that we spend. So okay. that's um, we, you know. We'll, we're explorers. We put money into the ground, and that's been the focus, and we'll continue to be. That's focused. fine. That, that's that, that's absolutely reasonable. And then back to the, the the grade components again. It's had so many owners. Some of them a little bit less focused than others, as you've explained there. But at those 
sorts of grades? Has it, has it never been in a position to either, one, get financing? I, I understand the market for the last you know, 10 years has been tricky at various points, but at those grades, you can make money. So why aren't people trying to make, or haven't people made money from this project before? It's a good question. Um... I don't think I can easily answer that. I think it's size. You know, I think you have to probably get, you know, we, we internally think we can comfortably get to a million ounces. So that's that goal. And we all know that's, you know, that 100,000 ounces a year for 10 years with those kind of margins would be very profitable and very fairly straightforward to finance. I think maybe at 380, not quite at that point. If you picked over half a million, maybe that might be something people thought about. But it's one, it's a good, it's a good chance they, this is a big district. That's what attracted us as a management team to the asset. You know, there's there's 10 by 14 Ks of porphyry targets, bulk tonnage gold targets, and these high-grade veins. I think everyone knew that this could and should be bigger. Uh, I think okay. you can show that as a first step. Well, okay, so let, let's kind of move on to the model. You know, there are models like people like Rocks Gold who've been taken out recently. He did start on four. 400,000 ads. But like, let, let's, let's not talk about what people in the past may have chosen as their business model. Let's, let's focus on how you easily get, your words, easily get to a million answers because you, I'd be really fascinated to understand how you do that, the style of um, exploration and what you're trying to do in the market. Because we've seen a lot of new uh, plays. We've seen some Newfoundland um, guys, you know, crazy high grades, um, you know, drilling for headlines and, you know, they're playing it that way. And it's worked. I'm not knocking it. it it's, it's worked. In the um, short term. Okay. You said it. I didn't. Um, the, and then you've seen other people, you know, and also, you know, b- before that, you know, the, the, um, great bears of this world, you know, it's a nice, not just drill, 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 keep going until, um, it, the, the, the data doesn't come back anymore. Um, how are you going to approach it? Because you're going to have to, you're, whatever you 40 ish million market cap, you're gonna to have to raise money every now and again to kind of move this thing forward. And you've got to pick the way that you're gonna play the market and the way that you're gonna get the data. So, how have you guys decided to approach this? Yeah, I think there's a few lessons from, from the discoveries that I've been involved with in the past that play this out. In, in epithermals, you do have to do a lot of drilling, that's just the nature of them. But the reward is that they're generally low capex to put into production and they're often high margin. And so the the plan I think for Unger for us is fairly straightforward in the sense that um, I think previous explorers might've got lost with all this prospectivity and how do you grapple with it as a small company? So the first thing we've been able to bring some greater amounts of capital to it, we raised $7 million in August last year, just over another 5.6 this year. So we, we've been able to bring more funding to, to the asset. And then the next thing is we've identified four key targets that we think will get us to that initial million ounces. We think ultimately we'd like to grow beyond that. But uh, we have four, and I kind of tongue-in-cheek tell people that one's an open high-grade resource, one's a discovery from last year, one's an old mine, and the fourth's a non-compliant resource. So as exploration targets go, they're pretty high-probability drill targets. For example... The deepest hole in the resource is five and a half metres at 24 grams. Never been followed up on. So you don't have to be the world's greatest geologist to say that's a good place to step out and expand. So we think we, we took three rigs to site. Two of them are our sea rigs. 
um, which is not fairly common in, in, you know, in Nevada and Australia, but it's not particularly common in Alaska. And so we're doing that because we want to rapidly test and get a lot of holes into our, into our targets. And so that's working. We're, we're up to about 30 holes in the program this year. We should actually have our first results in the next couple of weeks. So, you know, we'll be getting our results when most people are still just mobilizing in Alaska. And so the Diamond Rig is systematically stepping out in the resource area. And we think we can grow that resource in the half to one million ounce range. And then we've got these other targets. So Apollo's the old mine. And as I mentioned, there's a style of vein at the risk of, I'm a geologist, so I could get into this for way too long, but it's gold rich at surface and then gold, silver, gold, silver based metals as it gets deeper. And as I mentioned, the old timers couldn't recover that. But the way you explored back in the day was with the pick and shovel. So they literally sunk these shafts, drove these tunnels across and told you, here's the vein. It's five metres wide, it's six metres wide. And in a couple of places, they said, well, on average, this is the grade. And those grades come back around, you know, eight to 10 grams gold equivalent. So the old timers told you where it was. But there's this great mystery in that there's these old hand-drawn maps from the 30s that the old mine manager called Frank Brown did. And a group tried to test them in the 80s. And they drew it exactly where Frank had drawn these workings but didn't get anything of, you know, they clearly didn't get the workings and any good results. So everyone scratched their head and we scratched our head. And so we decided to solve the problem with brute force this year. We just drilled fences of RC holes, roughly where we thought it could be. There was, there's the old shafts, you know you can't be too far away. And we very clearly found those veins. So now we can say, and what happened was, I think the reports were written about 15 years after, um, after the mine closed and they're also written written to raise money to try and restart the mine so promotions promotion throughout history so maybe there was a slightly more optimistic view of a few features but nonetheless um there, there's just a, a an error in in either frank's recollection or or some local grid or something and so with the rc rig it was really easy to just say you know let's drill you know a hole every day and just drill a fence until we find it and then step out. It's cool detective work. I, 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 I thought it was bad these days, but crikey, going off a hand-drawn uh, schematic to go and raise some capital, that was pretty brave investing. We've actually got it easy. I shouldn't complain. Um, at least, at least yeah, well, it's mostly easier to do due diligence these days. There's a lot more data and accessible to a lot of people. It's true. Okay, so so let, let's come to the usual conundrum for, for companies kind of just starting up. you you got to get to a million ants resource. That's the first hurdle. Um, you then got to pick what your next targets are. You know, do you just, I say, keep drilling? I hope you keep drilling. Um, so how, how quickly do we get to a million answers? What are you, what are you targeting and with, and with yeah, what budget? That's a, that's a how long's a piece of string question. We think we can, we want to show this year that we're well on that pathway. And I think realistically it will go into next year to, to ultimately, if, if we know we're on the pathway with this year's program, then I think we could definitely make a projection to say at the end of the summer next year, we can deliver that. But we've just got, it's the reason we raised some extra capital. We had the funding to do the first phase program. But rigs are getting really tight to get in northern Canada and Alaska. So we recognised if we did the phase one program, waited for results, raised money, we mightn't get the rigs for the rest of the season. So we bit the bullet um, 
in April and raise that capital so that we can do the full program that we want to this summer. I mean, I was talking to someone else the other day um, about some drill rugs, which, which they'd commissioned. I think they had three as well, but they were talking about doing three shifts a day. How, do you, how much? Do you, I know, right? Three lots of eight, bang, off you go, boys. Um, that's getting full uh, utility from the, your resources. So, I mean, how, how does it work up in Alaska? I know you're southern Alaska, but you know what I mean. Yeah, so, you know, despite the fact that we're a reasonably remote project, our accessibility is fantastic. There's, there's our projects on two islands in the Aleutians. Um, the main island, Unger, is about 20 by 35 k's. It, it looks small on a global map, but when you're there, it's quite a big place. Um, and so we next to that is a town called Sandpoint that has a major airstrip. You can land a 737 on the airstrip. So there's there's daily commercial or charter flights in and out. It's it's a hardcore fishing um, town. There's a Trident fishing cannery there. And so our ability to service the project is really easy. So we just operate the same way most other projects would in southern Canada or the lower 48, for example. Okay, so, so it's, it's it's one team, eight-hour shift, there's your drilling done. Uh, so the RC is going with one shift, 12-hour shift, and the diamond is is two shift, two 12-hour shifts, which is the industry normal. Got it. Okay, understood, understood. Um, brilliant. So, right, so you, you go into next year, you will, I guess, burn through this money. Is that right? Yeah, we think so. What we did was we got up to site last year and we got going and our view was to everyone have been focused on the resource area. We think the resource area will grow, but we've got these other targets, the Apollo mine I talked about, and we made a discovery of another area called Aquila last year. And so this year is just to methodically step out on those open intersections. That's why I refer to it as pretty high probability exploration this is not wildcat shots okay so you're but you are focused on unga that that that's where all the money's going you're not being distracted so by anything so else we had at the close of the raise we had about eight and a half million dollars we're spending six of that um on unga this summer and we think that'll give us that re-rating that then we would come back and raise additional capital to then do the drill the resource drill out formally it's kind of referencing Mexico. You're not going to get distracted there, are you? Or are you going to find some way of monetizing that? So, yeah, we've, so we've got three projects in Mexico and Sonora. They're earlier stage projects. Um, we put $600,000 into those at the beginning of this year. Actually, just got back. We're waiting on the final drill results from La Lola. We put out some great surface results on Oso Negro, some really continuous high-grade silver. I think 360 metres of strike going 420 gram silver equivalent. So really good target. If that was our only asset, I think we'd be drilling that tomorrow. But Unger's just more advanced and it's clearly our flagship. So we'll leave the Mexican stuff for a couple of months and then come back if we have success. You know, we think each one could be a company making project. I'm sure everyone tells you that, but I think every each project has the size and the scale to be that. Um, but they're just earlier stage, what we have in Mexico. So we'll work them up through the methodical process, you know, prospecting, systematic sampling, drilling. And if we get to the point where we have big success in one area and not the other, then yes, obviously we'd look at our corporate options to maybe split them out or, or do something different, but we're not quite at that point yet. Uh, mostly gold, but also we've got one high-grade silver project as well. So epithermal veins again, We've got one great project that's just a, it's literally the Pac-Man bite out of Silvercrest Minerals' new land package. So unfortunately, they had deeper pockets and outbid us for the rest of the district. But 
we both liked what we saw. Okay, okay. So you've allocated some capital to that, but not going to distract you from what you need to do. Your number one priority is get to a million ounce. Is that that's what you're saying? That's our first goal. Yes, at under. Right. When you do that, what's your second goal? What's the what's the next target you'd set? So I'm trying to work out how this goal. works out. You know, so actually, seriously, from a strategy perspective, what we'd look to do is if we get to a million ounces, then we've got a clear permitting path to to build the mine back into production. Then, in concert with that, while we're going through that permitting and studies process, we'll then be able to continue to expand out and hopefully find the next two, three million ounces that probably, actually, probably is a forward-looking statement that may exist in the district, but it clearly has the potential for. So, I think the first step allows the permitting pathway so that you've got your quickest path to production. And then ultimately grow the resource because of the economic benefits of that. Process. We're not getting something that makes makes sense to me. So you, you believe you've got a district, and you've got to do the work to show market that you've got district uh, potential there with with four targets, which I say all advanced for different reasons. But you're very sure that you want to get into production as early as possible. This isn't about just showing scale and then sit back and go, "Who wants it?" This is. You, you want to show that it can get into production with these with these sorts of grades that you're seeing and start delivering cash whilst doing all of your other you know expansion exploration etc exactly you know with those grades you know a million ounces is going to be a very profitable mine and so it makes sense to get that into production as quick as possible right and but but the nature of it sort of what are you so there's a tough one I'm trying to understand the sort of capex type requirements, you know, what what's what you're gonna to have to get out to market and put together with not just the financing, but the the team and the type of of, of mill, et cetera, all of that sort of what's what's typical for around that? Yeah, so that it's jumping down the path a bit, but I've been through this a couple of times. Our, our VP Sam's been through it with Newmont a couple of times. You just scale up, you start to bring in the resource support to put together the resource. Then you're bringing the engineering support to do the studies and the engineering and the trade-off options for whether it would be you know, it's most likely going to be an underground mining scenario and what we see so far. And so then you would start to, to build out in an initial PA what that looks like. You know, rule of thumb for these kind of mines around the world, you're probably in the 200 to 250 million um, capital cost to, to build it. Um, we've already had a, you know, we've started to build our relationships with, with the DNR, Fishing and Game, the Army Corps of Engineers in Alaska, um, just to understand what you need so that we're not, that we're doing something now that doesn't become something we should have started 12 or 18 months earlier from a timeline perspective. So we're just sort of working that through. Our, our first goal is to lift the resource. Then we'll start to look at the, at the studies and trade-off options that will ultimately then lead to the construction decision. Beautiful. Okay. Um, I appreciate you telling us the story. It looked exciting from the outside. Now I've heard it. I think there's, there's some great potential here. I just want to sort of see you, you know, take all these little baby steps towards your million ounce and, uh, you know, wish you well for doing that. Stay in touch with us. Let us know how you're getting on. And, you know, um, especially with some of these drills, I, I suspect we'll see coming from you. i uh, be really intrigued to have that conversation. Yeah, thank you very much. It's um, It should be a fun summer for results that will lead to all the bigger picture conversations we just had. Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed the interview, why not subscribe to CruxCast or our website, cruxinvestor.com, and of course, our YouTube channel, Crux Investor. Plus, you can catch us most days on Twitter and LinkedIn. 
We really love getting your feedback, so please keep it coming, and we'll speak to you again soon.